faithful person. It means you're worthy of trust. If you place your faith in someone who is not trustworthy, then you're going to be disappointed and your faith is really empty. Your faith is, there's no substance to really back up or to give you any confidence to, to hope in this person, to, to count on them. But God Himself, what we find out in Scripture, is we learn all through the pages of Scripture, is God is faithful. He is worthy of all of our trust. Like, we can totally count on God. He comes through. We just sang that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's one of the most... Uh, I think for me, in my memories, that's the song that I remember singing growing up in my parents' church. Great is Thy Faithfulness. And there's something about declaring that before God, just singing that back to Him, just praising Him for who He is and how steady we have seen Him to be. He's described this way in Psalm 119. Your faithfulness continues. This is about God. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Through all generations. Meaning, from you to your kids to their kids. to your, I mean, just generationally, we see God's faithfulness. You establish the earth and it endures. So in this verse we find... You know, how God displays His faithfulness in different ways. We see two evidences of faithfulness. God, if you notice in this verse, He displayed His faithfulness two ways. One is over time. Over time we can see, this is not in your listening guide, but it's up here anyway. Over time we can see God's hand of faithfulness. That's the first part of Psalm 119. Your faithfulness, it declares, continues over and over through all generations. It takes time to build it. It's really a track record that we're looking for when you're asking a question if they're faithful Faith requires a span of time to really give evidence to whatever you're putting your hope in. Uh, marriage. Marriage requires lots of faith. If you're married, you know this. If you've been married, you know this. You don't just see them 24 hours a day. You're trusting that they're faithful to you all through the day. You're trusting that person is faithful. You can't monitor them. You can't put a tracking device on them. Although last service I said that this is kind of like a tracking device. Hey, where were you? Um, I noticed you were at RCC. Really? How would you know? I have my sources, you know. Or, you know, you were Wooden Van Buren making a phone call. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was there getting tacos, Del Taco. You can't necessarily track down your spouse. And you also can't see where they're going to be 10 years from now. You can't get to know someone and predict the whole thing of what their life is going to be like, it takes a lot of faith to enter into a marriage commitment, to a marriage relationship. And so what evidence would you give or would give you reason to really trust the person? Would just being faithful and keeping their word one time, would that be enough to, to marry someone? Wow, man, they kept their word once. Here you are. Or, oh, and, and accepting a ring. Is that all? You like that impression of... No, it's again and again and again. You have to observe someone actually keeping their word and then you decide, I am going to commit in this way. Over time, your trust grows. This is how faithfulness works. It's seen over time. There's no specific rule for how long we need to see the evidence of, of a track record, but the longer the track record is, the greater the trust is. The longer a person keeps their word, the more times you see someone actually do what they say, the more likely you are to say, yeah, I trust you. I'll commit to you in this way. But it takes time. And when it, whenever trust is damaged, the relationship can be forgiven and over time restored, but it's not immediate. You can say sorry, but you don't just immediately necessarily just restore things to the way things were. It's going to take time for things, for trust to be rebuilt and for level of trust to be returned. And sometimes there may be a different kind of trust that is given 
because of what has occurred. It just takes time. That's one part of faithfulness. There's another part that we see in that verse. It's out of sight. Look back at Psalm, the second part of that verse. It's first out of time, but then he says about God, you establish the earth and it endures. But that's, that's an out of sight thing. Nobody here saw that. I don't think. I mean, as far as I know, there's no like time travelers among us. Nobody was able to see God create the earth. No one saw Him spoke into existence. And so because of that, many people think, well, I wasn't there, so I don't believe it. But the truth is, it's, He's out of sight. It was out of sight. The real work of faithfulness is when we are out of sight. When we can't actually... If there's a trust there. We need to be faithful, not when our spouse is present alone, but when our spouse is not present not just when they're standing right there beside us to see that we're committed to them, but then, but when they're out of the area, when they're at work, when I'm at work, when they're away for a week, when I'm away for a week. That's where faithfulness is required, is when they're out of sight. You demonstrate that you're a faithful employee, not when your boss is staring over your shoulder to see if you're working. You know, is he doing his job? No, it's when the boss isn't there. That's when you demonstrate you're a faithful employee. That's the person you want to hire if you're an employee. You want to hire people who are faithful over time, out of sight. The work of building faithfulness in our context is really found in our routines. This is where it all boils down to. Our routines is how we develop faithfulness. That's why this morning's message is talking about ordinary routines. There's repeated actions that we do out of sight. This listening guide, you can follow along. As we go through it. When I think of routines, I think of athletes and musicians. When I was growing up, the athlete that everybody wanted to be like was Michael Jordan. Here's a photo collage of Michael through the ages. He's an amazing athlete. Just so much fun to watch him play basketball. And you know, I never, I mean, everybody dreamed to be like Mike, but I never had that dream. I knew that wasn't remote possibility, but, but my height was a limiting factor. My base, basketball skills, my baseball skills, yeah. Although he did try baseball for a while. But my basketball skills just didn't, you know, add up. And so as much as I practiced and tried, you know, just could only go so far in that. But this guy, he would practice and practice and practice. And he, professional athletes, they practice and they want to make hundreds, if not a thousand shots a day. Not just attempt, but make sh- that many shots a day so that when game time, you know, we don't ever see them practicing. We don't ever... None of us would go pay to watch eight hours of Mike. Well, there might be a few of you that would, but you're not going to do that for very long. Maybe one time. Nobody's going to go watch a professional athlete practice for day after day after day after day. You know, after a while of seeing someone shoot and, and make baskets, you're like, wow, he's, he's good. He's got talent. What we want to see is, is this or the next slide. You know, we want, to see, we want to see the action. We want to see game time professional athlete, whoever it is. And if you're a huge fan, you're, you're looking for this. You're not necessarily wanting to see the behind-the-scenes stuff. You want to see him show up when it really matters. Uh, <laughs> but there is this element of he's working over time and out of sight. God works in the very same way. Much better, obviously, and way beyond Michael Jordan. But if we need human comparison of it, God, He is faithful. He promises to add extra in response to our own faithfulness. And so this morning I want to look at three routines, three practices that if we will work on these things, if we will develop these three areas, these three routines, God adds something extra that we really, really need. So take a look. The first one is this. If we'll be faithful to God's Word, faithful to God's Word, then He adds something extra. He adds a little bit of extra sensory perception. 
you're like, what? Extrasensory perception? I think I've heard that somewhere. ESP. Oh, yeah, that's ESP. He's talking about ESP at church? You know, ESP refers to this, you know, the senses beyond the five basic senses, the extra sense, the sixth sense. Some people have been searching for the sixth sense beyond our basic five senses. That extra in life that just allows us to um, perceive things at a different level. And so some people can get pretty weird searching for the extra senses and to be able to perceive things on another level. But honestly, couldn't we all use a little bit of extra perception at times? I know I could. I know that there's times in life because there's, there are some decisions that I have to process and there's decisions you have to process that are not easy to figure out. Some decisions are really obvious. You know, should I jump off the building? Clearly not. Should I run into moving traffic? Bad idea. How do I respond to my angry son? How do I navigate this conflict with my spouse? How do I make the pressing decision with the deadline that's coming? How do I pay this thing off? How do I deal with all these responsibilities? There's all these things that are not that obvious in life, and it's at those points where we wish we had a little bit of extra sensory perception, where we just knew, man, this is the right answer, this is the wrong answer. This is the right direction to move in, this is the harmful direction for my family. And honestly, sometimes we look at our basic senses and we just don't know what to do. And it's in those moments where we need perception to be able to wade into these situations. Now, I'm not talking about extrasensory perception on the mystical level, but just on a very practical level. We need to understand the decisions that lie before us. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. The writer of Hebrews, he says this. He says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So there's this infant stage where we're just drinking milk. We're drinking milk. And spiritually, there's a stage in our spiritual lives where we're just taking in milk, but we're, we're remaining an infant. And at that stage, we're not really acquainted, or we don't, we're not familiar with the teaching about righteousness. It goes on and says, but solid food is for the mature. Verse 14. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Some people have an extra amount of distinguishing or discernment or perception when it comes to what's good and what's bad. Some of you have that. Some of us lack that in some areas. Where we just don't, we can't really tell and so we approach things we're not sure what to do. Milk is, is the part, and there's a shift in this verse. There's a shift that we know with just basic child development where a kid moves from milk to solid food. They grow up. They start taking in something more that, for their nourishment. Milk, though, when you look at, if you look back, let's go back a verse. Milk is the part of God's Word that simply needs to be accepted mentally. Mentally accepted for it to nourish us. There's lots of things in the Scripture that are just key points of information that we simply need to accept. I say simply, and it's not often easy to do, but it is there's lots of portions like, is Jesus God? You accept or you reject that. You mentally just say, yeah, I believe that is true or I don't. I accept it or I reject that. I, I, I swallow it or I just I spit that out. That's not for real. But if you never get beyond just accepting the basics of Christianity as you get into the Bible, if you never move beyond just accepting things mentally, then the truth is you'll never grow. Scripture says... If you're, just, if you're stuck at the milk stage, you're not really 
able to grasp training and teaching and righteousness. Righteousness is those things that we need to learn to do that please God. What is right before Him, what's wrong. Helping to distinguish good from evil is what he goes on to say. For that, if you're going to get that, you need solid food, Scripture says. That's the part of God's Word that must be practiced for us to really nourish or to be nourished. The Bible has all sorts of parts to it that are easier for us to understand than others. Some have thought that this verse is talking about there's parts of the Scripture that are just really easy to understand and then there's some parts that are hard to understand. So some people say the milk is the easy stuff, the, the, the solid food is the hard stuff. But really, I don't think that's what this verse is saying at all. And sometimes we think, wow, that place, they just teach milk. They never get past the easy stuff. And I want to go where the, the, where the solid stuff is. But if you look at the verse very carefully, it's not talking about do you accept things or is it understandable? But the chewing, the solid food, is doing the Word of God, not thinking. That's what separates milk and, and immaturity and infants from solid food for the mature. The solid food is for those who through constant use, it says, go to the next one, it says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have been trained. The chewing is doing the Word of God, not thinking about the Word of God. Deciding, I'm going to move beyond that. Solid food is not the stuff that's hard to understand. That's not the solid food. The solid food is the stuff that's hard to do. That's, that's solid food. When I take the stuff that's hard to do and I get it into my life, I put it into practice, I start using it. Like one, one piece of steak in the Scripture is, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Man, that's easy to understand. That's extremely difficult to, to chew on and to, to take in and to put it into practice. Many of us, we've been working on chewing that and breaking that down for years, haven't we? It's, it's hard to do love your neighbor as yourself because I don't know about you, but I love myself way too much. And so if I'm going to love others as much as I love myself, that's just too hard to do. And so, But we need a lot of practice. If you develop the, the routine of chewing on God's Word faithfully, God will give you some added perception to distinguish good from evil. That's what the Scripture says. The mature are those who through constant use are chewing on it. They understand what it says. They have accepted it, but now they do something with it. What God does is He gives you the ability to distinguish, to discern. This is the right choice. This is what would please God. This is what is right before Him and others. And this is what is not. Again, this is a routine. Chewing on it. Chewing on it. Chewing on it. Daily. Not just reading. Now this is, again, I want to just focus on this. This is not just about reading the Bible. Reading is not, is not the same idea of, as chewing. Even coming to church and attending church, in some ways, if you only attend church all your life, then it's like taking in milk that you accept. Because if all you do is come and say, that was good, that was right, that explained why I'm dealing with that, but you leave and nothing in your life changes, you do nothing with it, then you're at the stage of the milk and, and you're not training righteous, for righteousness. You're not able to distinguish good from evil. So when you go to church, it's not just saying, I figured it out. That figured me out. Thanks. And then I leave. But it's actually doing the hard work of working on it, mulling on it, considering, man, how does this work in my marriage? Okay, how am I going to do that? When am I going to start? Oh, that didn't go well. How am I going to try again? Or with a friend. Or all these different things. It's the practice of doing. That's what the solid food for the mature is talking about. The things that are hard to do. My father, my dad's a pastor. As far as I can remember, my dad has been serving as a pastor. 
And so one of the things that, that we did, a routine of ours, was every Sunday I would go with him really early. We'd show up at church before anybody else was there. And, um, you know, traditional church buildings, steeples, a couple of buildings, one for the church, one for what they called the education building where all the Sunday school classes were. And, and um, we'd just walk around the whole facility, walk through every room, up and down the stairs, go through all the, all the, like the outdoor yard area, look at the entryway. And he was looking for anything that seemed out of place. He'd notice a piece of trash, pick it up, throw away. He'd, he'd, just, he'd see things that were slightly out of place. He'd check all the classrooms, make sure everything was ready. He'd make sure that every row on every chair was just straight and perfect. And he had this sixth sense of knowing when anything was out of place. Well, now, because I have had this history of doing that with my dad for so many years, now I've developed this annoying habit of seeing anything that's out of order. And now... If I see a giant mess, like my office at times, I can ignore that. But if I see things that are particularly, you know, it's, it's almost right, I can see something that's out of order and it just bugs me. And it's not really helpful to walk into someone's house and be like, you know, I'm going to get backhanded if I do that. And, and so what do I do? I have to restrain. But it, it's not that I read about order in a book somewhere. What it is, is my dad had me do it and practice it over and over with him. And he told me why he would do it. Well, here, let me tell you why this is important, Josh. This impacts the guests. Like, does it? Yeah, it does. Or the, and he tell me why. So let's do this together. We do it over and over. And so now the problem is things that are crooked bother me. And that bothers many of you. That that bothers me. Because it may impact you in some way. And it, But... That's what God's Word offers us in a way. A chance in our own lives to see what is crooked and off. As we do, as we practice over and over and over the Word of God, it's a routine that we need to be faithful to getting into God's Word. It's what He's able to show us things that are off in our life, things that are crooked and wrong. And when we're able to process things at a different level, we can distinguish and save ourselves from all sorts of grief. We pay a tremendous amount of... Uh, we pay the price. We suffer for consequences because we, we never really move past the milk in some things. We just accept things. But if it gets hard and we've got to do something, eh, I'm not gonna, I'll leave that to the real spiritual people, the real faithful people. But these times on Sunday, they may help you in some way. They may motivate you. They may help you see some things that are, that are new. But honestly, if you're not getting into God's Word and faithfully trying to make application of it, then you're going to lack the ability to make good decisions over the long haul. And you're going to find yourself experiencing the consequences and reaping the consequences of, of doing life on your own. And saying, Because really, it, when we don't apply the Word of God, we're saying, God, I got it. I got it. I've, I've got this. I appreciate that, God, but I've got this. I've got a, I've got a track in life that, that no one seems to be running, but it's going to work for me. So I would encourage you, get started. Grab your Bible, open it up, start chewing on it. This is the importance of small groups, I think. This is a quick plug for small groups. If you're not in a small group, I would encourage you. I mean, our small groups are full, but and we would like to have that problem of not knowing what to do because it forces us to, to include more people in our church body because this gathering only really allows for a lot of milking to happen. I didn't say that last service, and that might be uncalled for. <laughs> but, 
But this is, that's all you can really, really do right now is take in the milk. You have a visual, I'm sure. I mean, you're taking it in to some level, but it's when we leave this place and we start relating in a circle, not in rows, but in circles and saying, hey, how are we going to do this stuff? And people are sharing, man, here's how I'm trying to apply what God's teaching me. Here's how that fits into my life. And, and then you're like, wow, I want, to do, I want to do that. Man, I've seen the, the difference that it's making in their life. I want to experience that. I'd encourage you, if you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you, you get around other people and start figuring out how do I practice my faith. The second thing is this. The second routine to develop is faithful in prayer. Provide some extra help. God, Jesus said this. He says, Jesus told his disciples a story, a parable. To show them they should always pray and not give up. A parable is a short story that offers a comparison. He tells a story and he says, this is going to compare to some spiritual reality. Something about God. Something about spiritual life. So here's the story Jesus said. He's trying to teach them about praying and not giving up. And here's the parable in the next slide. It says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Now that's not the kind of judge that you want to go visit, right? You, want, you don't want a judge who, who's against God and doesn't like people. Like, that's not the guy you want to ask for mercy from. But this is the, the judge in that town. He didn't fear God, didn't care about men. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time it says that he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, I don't care about men, yet because this widow, she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. She just keeps coming to me with this request. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Here's the comparison. Here's the point of the parable. Will not God, God is the just judge. He cares about people. He's just. His ways are right. Will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? If you're in Christ, you're His chosen one. He's... You know, and, and, and if you're pursuing Him, if you're wanting to get to know Him, to cry out to Him, He's saying, look, God's going to listen. Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Will Jesus find that kind of faith? Will that pattern of persistent requests, faithfully praying, will that be a pattern of our lives? Do we need to pummel God with prayer? No. That's what you do with someone who, who doesn't care about you. Just keep pummeling them, trying to get what you want. But why would he ask us to do this? Well, he's saying, look, make this request a part of your life because notice the last statement Jesus makes. When I return, will I find that kind of faith? When the Son of Man returns, will I find that kind of faith in us? What matters most to most to us is our circumstances. What matters most to God is developing our faith, helping us to live on a faith edge all of our lives, bringing our circumstances to God repeatedly in prayer over and over and over, being faithful to pray, what that does is it stretches and grows your faith. And it's the evidence of real faith. Prayer is, is the evidence of faith. You keep seeking God and saying, God, I can't fix this situation. I don't know what to do here. God, would you please have mercy on me? God, would you please heal me? Whatever the request is, God, would you please rescue this person? Would you rescue us? Would you provide for us? Bringing that to God in prayer, it's an act of faith because you're believing that God is really there listening. He's with you. He's not abandoning you. He cares. Why did this woman keep persisting? Well, she knew the judge was the one with all the power. And so why would we pray? It's a belief that God is the one with all the power. He's the one that, that is in charge. 
Whenever we don't pray, what we're really saying is, God, I have another solution that I believe is going to get us through. And so we start working our solutions or the world's solutions. And if right now, if you're dealing with some sort of an issue that has no earthly solution at all, then you need more than just positive thinking to get you through it. If you're stuck, and if there's something really serious in your life that you are stuck at, there's a decision you're facing or there's a situation in your life that's not getting fixed, then you need more than people saying, hey, I'll be thinking of you. I appreciate all the positive thoughts that people can offer, but positive thoughts will not fix my situation. What I would rather is that people go to the God who made heaven and earth and present faithful requests on behalf of our challenges and of the things that we're facing. If God could make everything out of nothing, then, then he, can, he can work. He can act on our behalf. He's the just judge. So he says, plead with me about the circumstances of your life. The ones that are, you're desperate about, the ones that are bleak, the ones that you think there is no other option, or, or, or for those situations, those people who are sick, who are confused, who are hurting, those are the times to go to God and just keep praying and praying and praying to be persistent in prayer. What can I be assured of? Can I be assured that God will heal me or He'll fix the situation? I cannot be assured of that. I can't be assured of that. What I can be assured of is that God will hear me and He will act according to His will. He will hear and He will act according to His will. We don't always understand why God works the way He does. We don't understand the answers that God provides. And what, But when we go before God, it's like going before a judge. Anytime you have, if you've ever went before a judge, I sat on a jury twice. And in those moments, the people who went before the judge, they had all their papers together. They had all their files. They had their documents. Their lawyers made sure everything was in order. You wanted to make sure that they knew the facts and the law. It's the same way when you approach God. You want to know. This is why, going back to the first point of being faithful to God's Word, you want to know what God says. You want to be getting into God's Word so that when you pray, that what you're praying is in line with what God said is true. God, here's the facts of my situation. Here's what's really going on. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge. And God, I've been getting into Your Word. I've been getting into the Bible. This is what it says. And I'm just bringing this and asking You to show me mercy. God, we're stuck. There's no way out. God, You say You'll provide. We sang a song about great is Thy faithfulness. All that we needed, Thy hand provided. God, I've read this about You. Would You, would you do that? God, I read that you're, You've healed. You do these different things and, and, I'm, and we're stuck. There are no other options given to us. Please, God, would You heal me? You plead Your case before God. God, I'm hurting. I feel like I'm abandoned. I feel like I'm alone. And I read that You're the God of all compassion. You come alongside me and all my... God, I feel so alone right now and I need You. Would You keep Your Word? And I'm not demanding, I'm not trying to push You, but God, I read this and I'm asking You this and God, I'm just going to continue to trust in faith that You will provide what You promised to provide in this, in, this, in this area. When you pray, it builds a routine. of It just builds a routine. God provides extra help. And I, I don't understand how it all works. I do understand that He says, hey, stay after this. Don't give up on prayer. The third area to develop is be faithful in the little. It adds extra promotion. Jesus tells the story of an unfaithful, an unfaithful servant, an unfaithful employee in a sense, 
Luke 16, 10 through 12. Take a look. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, that's money, who will trust you with true riches? There's something more important than money that God might entrust to us, he's saying. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Point here. If you're a boss and you're trying to figure out who should I promote for this position? I have this need, this position. Who should I look for? Well, I look for the person with a track record of faithfulness because if they've handled the task they've been assigned, then, then that's good evidence that they're going to handle this promotion. God says, hey, me too. That's how I promote. Just like how you'd promote. You look for people who, who keep their word. You look for people who, who follow through. The best indicator of future performance is past performance. How did you do in the past? Did you keep your word? If you promote people and you think, man, I really hope they're going to rise to this occasion, it leads to disappointment. It also leads to the disappointment of other people. If you want God to do more through your life, then the Scripture says is we need to take a hard look at how we're handling some specific areas, the things He's entrusted to us now. So three things. One is money before many. Money before many. This is not in your outline. I encourage you to jot it down. This is with verse 11. Be faithful with the little stewardship, the financial resources you have before you're given more. Do you want to have an impact on many people's lives? People are true riches. Money is not a true rich. Rich? True riches? People are. Money is this, it's this temporary thing. God allows us to use money, pays for things, all these things. But the big question God asks is, how are you handling this money? How are you spending it? How are you saving it? How are you giving it? How are you hoarding it? Money is this temporary thing that God places in our hands. And He says, here, this is, not, this is a test. Let's see how He's going to do with it. But it's not an eternal thing. So God says this is a test that we need to pass before we're entrusted with something that He highly values, something that has eternal significance. That's, that's people. People are true riches. You are all going to live forever. You have a soul. You're going to live forever. You're going to either live forever with God for all eternity, with all others that have followed Him. You're going to live with Him forever and ever and ever. And I, that boggles my mind. You're eternal. Or you're going to be separated from Him for all eternity. Separated. There's heaven and there's hell. Scripture is very clear about this. And, and we have an opportunity to impact other people's eternal destiny. If we share our lives with others, if we share our faith with others, we can, God can give us a responsibility to help others come to know Him and to have everlasting life. That's true riches. But before God entrusts us, that before He says, here, I'm going to give you people, the responsibility of more people, spiritual influence, leadership, He says, I'm going to test you with your money. It's a temporal thing, but it tests and prepares us for the eternal. The other thing is verse 10. God says, it's really little jobs before big jobs. Little jobs before big jobs. God always tests with the little responsibilities in life before the big stuff comes. So look at verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. The Bible records some pretty amazing things from some remarkable people. And you read these stories of the heroes of our faith, and you're like, wow, parting water, providing for millions of people, 
slaying giants, all these kinds of things that happen. And what we don't see is the track record, the years of unseen faithfulness on the small things. We, we read the highlight reel. But we don't always read the mundane relating to God. You hear about David and Goliath, but David didn't just step up and, and out of the blue just fight this giant. For years, David had been faithfully guarding his father's sheep. He was in charge. He was a shepherd. He had this task, this mundane task of protecting against predators. And so whenever the predators came, he had to make sure that he protected what was his stewardship. On two occasions, there was a bear and a lion that came. And, and probably most people would say, uh-oh, hey, you guys go ahead and when you're done eating, I'll be over there. <laughs> if you get full, I'll be over there. No, he said, with the Lord's strength, he stood his ground. God allowed him to protect this responsibility. And so when David stepped in to fight Goliath, he had seen God come through for him in the past, in the smaller things. And so he knew God can be with me in the big thing. Nobody else was, had seen, nobody else had the faith like that. And so David, the only reason David was even there to fight Goliath was because he was running a routine chore for his father. His father said, hey, go take this food to your brothers who are on the, on the front lines of the battle against the Philistines. And he gets there, and, and if you know the story, everybody is shaking in fear looking at this giant that cannot be defeated who's taunting the people of God and saying, is there any of you that will fight me? Day after day, this giant is taunting God's people. No one was willing to go and take that fight. And David says, hey, I'll fight him. He's this little boy, in a sense. He's a, not a little boy, but he's a young man. And he says, hey, I'll fight him. And they're like, who are you? And he, and he said, you know, I was watching my father's sheep. A bear comes along. A lion comes along. So I protected them. I protected those sheep. He'd seen come, God come through, and so he was faithful to just manage the small things. God promoted him and gave him a bigger job. There's all sorts of little jobs in our life. I just encourage you, be faithful to the smallest things. Those housekeeping chores, the cleaning chores, just the little things that we'd say, why does it really matter? Well, those things always come before the bigger jobs. The third thing, and the last thing is this, yours before mine. Verse 12, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? God looks at how we serve other people and how we follow other people before he promotes us to bigger things. It's the story of Joseph. You can read about the story of Joseph from about the middle of Genesis 30, like 35 or something on to chapter 50, you can read about his life. And, and honestly, it's an amazing story. One day he went from prisoner to number two in the world, but it didn't just start with this huge promotion that surprised him. What preceded was faithful years of being enslaved and imprisoned, and God said, hey, enough. I've seen enough. I'm raising this man up. He was raised up to number two in the world. It's a pretty amazing story. But again, he was... He took responsibility for someone else's stuff, someone else's stewardship. He was faithful to do it. He didn't drop the little things. He said, this is important to them, and I'm going to make it important for me. I'm going to follow well. I'm going to serve well. And God promoted him there. This is a huge principle. This applies to spiritual leadership. This applies in your home. This applies to all sorts of things as it relates to your own personal life and our, just the extra that God provides. We think, just as we wrap up, we think God promotes through how intelligent we are or what degrees we might have on the wall. But that's not what God looks at. He looks at these things. Am I faithful to God's Word? Am I faithful to prayer? Am I faithful with the little things? These things God works through and adds something extra that we all very much need. I'm going to invite the band to come up now.
Would you all take out that connection card? On the back of the connection card, you'll notice there's these three next steps. You can go ahead and pull them all three up. Chew on some spiritual food this week. There are some big, thick pieces of steak in the Bible that you get, you open it up, and you're like, wow, this is hard to take in and do something with. I'd encourage you to to get into the Word of God. James is a great place to start. A very, very practical book of the Bible. Just kind of get started on practicing the Word of God. Very, very application-oriented book. Write out a case to bring before God is the second thing. That's really related to prayer. Just think through what you're facing. God, here's what I know of you. Here's what I've said. And then just pray it back to Him and then be faithful to bring your case before God. And then third, work on being faithful in a little thing. Let's go to the Lord as we pray together. God, we again, we just pause to say thank you for your faithfulness.